The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome to another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Once again, I am the namesake. Happy to have you here. This is Season 3, Episode 11 of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. If you you're just joining us. This is a weekly podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. Like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast and respond to us there and you can find new episodes there each Wednesday. You can download us on SoundCloud, find us on Apple Podcasts. We used to post poll questions, but those really stopped getting the kind of response that we were hoping for. So the one you'll hear today is the last one we'll tell you about. Also, we'll talk with Chris Beck, the head coach of the Williamstown Yellow Jackets, and talk about how they're getting geared up. We'll also have a couple other issues we want to talk about this week and some news and notes and schedule changes. We'll get right into looking at last week's games before we get things going. Ritchie County and Doddridge County in an epic struggle and finally defense dominates one of these epic Clash of the Titans kind of games. A late field goal decides it as Doddridge County slips past Ritchie 9-8 and stays perfect. Very unfootball-like score. Doddridge got a 6-0 lead. Ritchie tied things in the third quarter, went for two points after the touchdown, got the two-pointer, and the third was leading the game 8-6. And on V96-9, my color analyst Garrett Fur was reading that score and he said, watch that be the final score of the game, and it almost was. DJ Devaney got his third field goal of the year for Doddridge County with less than two minutes to play, and that's his biggest one of the year because it kept Doddridge at 4-0. Credit Ritchie County's defense for being nearly as impenetrable as Doddridge's because I think the big thing to look at, especially with Ritchie's last two games, is where do they go from here and where does this put them in relation to the rest of the stack? Because Doddridge County came in and all the talk was about their defense. They hadn't allowed any points in either of the first three games, and then Ritchie comes in and limits Doddridge County, a team that can run and throw very well. They limit Doddridge County to just eight points, and Doddridge did get their share of yards. The Bulldogs finished this one up with 327 total yards. That's got to be the definition of bend but don't break. But for an offense that can be high-flying and high-powered to be held to just nine points, that's quite an accomplishment, not one to be overlooked. So for Ritchie County, they got to be a frustrating two-and-two. The big things they didn't get done last week against Doddridge County, they didn't get the ball to Gus Morrison, just 10 carries last week, and they didn't take advantage of turnovers. Doddridge turned it over twice, and the Rebels couldn't capitalize. So if you're Doddridge, they're 4-0, and you have to wonder if they're going to face this kind of a challenge again in their regular season. There's a strong chance that they won't see anybody as good until the playoffs. Anybody as good as Ritchie County until the playoffs. And Ritchie County now officially one of those 2-2 two two teams. Its record does not indicate how good they are. Ritchie County is going to have Wart County this week. We'll touch on that here later on. And then it's Gilmer, Ravenswood, Roan, Williamstown in the second-to-last game, and Tigers Valley. Williamstown the only team that is in the caliber of where Doddridge County has been this season. So they may not see a team that challenges them as much as Ritchie County. And for the Rebels, how do they respond from back-to-back losses? Because they've lost two games now by a combined seven points. They learned a lot about themselves, I think. And I hope that group doesn't get too down on themselves because they didn't lose those games by much. And they're a good football team, despite the fact that here in Week 5, the record is 2-2. Two and two. This week they'll have Ravenswood, then that's South Harrison, Webster, Wart, who's been been a bit of a surprise early on, Gilmer and Calhoun. So nobody in that schedule that sticks out to me that's going to test Ritchie County either from here on out. So either way, a great game between those two teams. We've had some of these great games that lived up to the billing. You could say that Ritchie and St. Mary's lived up to that hype. Ritchie and Doddridge lived up to that hype. But you usually don't see those go in the defensive end, and that's 
definitely what happened here. PHS and Huntington. PHS ended Huntington's dominance over the Big Reds. An 11-game winning streak for Huntington came to an end over PHS. Game was tied at 14 in the third quarter. The Big Reds scored the game's last 11 points on their way to a 25-14 win over the Highlanders. Michael Owen entered a quarterback for PHS in the second half with Bryson Sanger switching to running back. So maybe that quarterback derby is not done. If Mike Bias was willing to go to Michael Owen and use him as a spark, maybe he saw something he liked in Singer as a runner. It's something that's been kicking around in his head. Who knows? Does it stay? Who knows? But it certainly introduces some questions, I think, to this PHS attack as they come in now. Winners of three straight, looking for their fourth straight win this week. Sometimes a lot of these quarterback derbies in college and the pros, it usually comes down to someone making mistakes, someone being the better player, or someone doing something to win the job or earn the job. But more often than not in high school, it's just about which arrangement gives you the best chance to win. It's very possible you could put Singer on 10 other teams, and he's the guy that's the quarterback there. It's very possible you could put him on the Big Reds, and he's the guy that should be the quarterback. But it's also possible that, on occasion, Owen is the guy that's got to get that group going. So we'll see if they stick with him. And again, it's not like somebody did or didn't do something to win or lose the job. A lot of times, you find that an arrangement is the one that makes your offense go the best. There's something that that brings to your offense that helps things go the way that you need it to go and facilitates that a little bit better and provides what you need. So do you use him as a change of pace? Do you stick with Singer? Do you go with Owen and and let Singer be your running back? Who knows? And does he spell Zadrian Snodgrass? How does he go along with Zadrian Snodgrass? These are questions we'll all find out. Snodgrass had just 12 carries for 48 yards against Huntington, whereas Singer, 31 carries, 100. 55 yards. And we were talking with John Chalfin last week, the PHS voice, about the importance of having that bell cow in the backfield. Maybe Singer is the bell cow. He's the money back, maybe, for Mike Bias's group. You can't rule it out. Parkersburg South, that's an ugly loss for them last week against John Marshall. And that's going to be hard to put that behind them, especially with Bridgeport next. Patriots turn the ball over six times. That's easily the ugliest loss of the Nathan Tanner era. Every time South would get something to go in their way, and I mean every time, something of equal or greater significance would go against them. They took it away. Their one takeaway of the night was compounded by a turnover on the following play. They took it away at their own four, but they gave it away at their own four and they put John Marshall in a goal-to-go situation immediately and John Marshall punched it in. In the post-game interview with sideline reporter Ken Davis, one of the things Nathan Tanner, Parker's Rick Sound said is we need to work on blocking and tackling. And it's not a sexy answer. It's a very fundamental answer and a very straightforward answer, but sometimes that's all you need to know. And those are the very fundamental elements of football. You block and make space for people, and you tackle. And if you can't get those things down, and if you're not sound in those areas, if you don't have that spark, that juice, and this team doesn't have that spark right now, then that tells you what you need to know about this team. Don't sleep on this John Marshall team, by the way. They are legit. If there's a better one-two backfield tandem in the state than Dalton Flowers and Alex Burton, I'd be scared to see it. Flowers gets to the edge with quickness, explosiveness, and then once he gets into speed, he runs like a track star. Burton gets you the tough yards, but can also break away a long run, too. Great one-two backfield tandem. This is a John Marshall team that can get into the playoffs and win a game, maybe a couple games. We'll see. As expected, St. Mary's rolled over Calhoun. The Blue Devils have Williamstown next. They had a tough time spreading the ball around. Trey Moss got six carries in the game, but two of them went for touchdowns. Ben Long also had a couple touchdown runs for the Devils. Logan Rice with a 100-yard pick six for St. Mary's. It's a bit of a depth-building game. There's a lot of extra players and fresh faces got in the second half, and now we'll see just how strong St. Mary's is with Williamstown coming in next week. Ward County goes to 3-0. and The Tigers move there with a strong performance over Tyler Consolidated, a game that probably wasn't as close as the score would indicate, with Ward County leading 27-12 at the half. Tigers racked up 423 total yards of offense. Tyler turned it over three times. They were picked twice. 
trying to get a passing game going, but it doesn't seem like it's there quite yet for the Silver Knights, or at least it wasn't against the Ward County Tigers. They, under head coach Jason Hickman, have been known for being a ball-hawking group. They were in his first stint. They are becoming one in his second stint. They had that game last year where they took away a lot from Peyton City. They had a lot of interception against Peyton City in a win last year against the Wildcats, but again, that's something that you can tell they emphasize there at Ward County, the ball-hawking and taking the ball away, and they were able to take it away three times, two of them on interceptions from the Silver Knights this week. So again, we'll see what Tyler does to bounce back. We'll see what Ward County does. They've got Doddridge next, and I don't know that that's going to be quite the matchup it looks on paper. Doddridge is 4-0. I feel like they're maybe in a different echelon than Ward County right now, but the Tigers are going to give them a game. They're going to come out ready to go and hyped up for this one. That's a community that if you get them amped up for a big game, they will meet you halfway. Great win for Marietta. They defeated Weir 36-34. They held off a late Weir rally. Weir scored the game's last 13 points. Marietta has Ripley on Friday in the regular season finale for a chance to finish the regular season at 3-3. Hard to believe we're coming up on Week 5 in West Virginia, but Week 6 in Ohio, and that means the end of that six-game Ohio regular season. We will see playoff football in Ohio next week. We'll know much more about that and probably have much more to say about that on next week's edition of the show. And a great win for the Magnolia Blue Eagles, an upset over the Frontier. Frontier came in 4-0, unbeaten, and Magnolia didn't back down. The first win for the Blue Eagles since 2018, and they routed Frontier. I texted head coach Dave Chapman. He said, kids played really well. That's all there was to say about it. They've worked so hard up there for a long time. They needed that one. And that's not to take away from Russ Morris. I cover him as well and know him as well. And you feel bad for that group because they had a shot to go unbeaten this year in the regular season, at least. And you like to have seen them try to do it. But for a group like Magnolia to have worked as hard as they've worked and to have accomplished as much as they've accomplished, they show up day in and day out despite not winning since 2018. I have to imagine that Friday night into Saturday was just a really sweet feeling in New Martinsville and that group. Credit goes to them. Kudos to them for all the work they put into that one. A quick schedule note. Tyler Consolidated will play Buffalo this week instead of Tulsa because of the COVID levels, COVID metrics in the state. The Tyler Buffalo game was on the schedule for October 9th. That has moved up to this Friday instead of October 9th. The Silver Knights still looking for a game for that October 9th vacancy, but it's Tyler Buffalo this week instead of Tyler Tulsa, and then we'll see what happens with the Silver Knights schedule on October 9th when it rolls around. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's take a look at last week's poll question. We asked you and no one answered. Are you surprised at the amount of impact COVID has had on high school football this season? Canceled games, the amount of cases or outbreaks among teams, lack of fans in the stands, etc. If yes, why? If no, did you expect more or less of an impact? Again, I thought this would be an interesting one to put out there and once again Facebook wouldn't let me post this as a poll so I'm going to have to do away with a poll unfortunately try to keep it going and it's just not getting the response that it needs to be to merit that but I want to put this out there to see if people were really surprised at how the season looked and there's a lot of different impacts of course there aren't as many people in the stands the band looks a little bit different you don't have the marching shows at halftime a lot of places are putting the bands behind the end zones and folding chairs and spreading them out like that there have been a number of schedule changes throughout the season before and throughout each week. And you're always seemingly at the mercy of watching one of those happen. 
We've seen lots of scheduling anomalies, too. For instance, this week, Mingo Central is scheduled to play twice. They're going to play Wednesday and then again on Friday. I know their kids are younger people, so they're a little bit more resilient, even in a game like football, but I can't imagine playing twice in about a 48-hour span and completing two games in about 55 hours is an easy thing for even kids to be able to do. But that's something that you never imagine doing outside of a really extraneous circumstance in previous weeks. But they're coming in late September, so they probably feel down there like they've got to get as many games in as they can and play as much football as they are able to play. I don't know how you prep for two games at the same time like that. So there's been all kinds of impact on high school football this season with the canceled games, the changes in schedule, the lack of fans in the stands, where you position the bands, the atmosphere just isn't quite what we're used to at high school games. You don't have the people, you don't have the buzz, you don't have the bands. The games are there and we're grateful for it. And I think it's like a lot of other sports in that regard, a lot of other major league sports specifically, even college sports too. You're glad the games are there, they look and feel different, and, and you miss the way they used to look and feel and you hope we get back to that soon. But for right now, you're just grateful for what we've got and you're grateful there aren't any more reports of cases or outbreaks among teams. And I'll be honest, I expected a lot of this. I expected the schedule to change, and we try to anticipate this as much as possible. You expected maybe to see more cases and outbreaks among teams. I hope that it continues to hold out that there's not a lot of that, but we've seen entire teams quarantined away for a few weeks, and then they come back and play later. thought maybe there'd be a little bit more of that, and, and I'm grateful there's not. But this was a season that I know at our station here, we tried to expect the unexpected, and that's kind of the way we went in on it, and that's the exhausting grind of this season. That's what I didn't expect about the season. This is just the most exhausting season to be around because every day there's something. There's a real story of a case or an outbreak or you hear a report of something that you run down to try to find if a half-truth or a rumor is true and you spend energy doing that. I know a lot of fans want to come to games. It's been a stressor for a lot of people because that's what they want. They want to enjoy high school football, but right now we're not sure if we are able to do that. And people are doing their best to get the people in who need to see those games and hopefully later in the year there'll be limited numbers of fans and if there are who, who do you limit it to really beyond parents of band cheerleaders players dance teams if, if that happens after that you've pretty much hit half capacity or quarter capacity. You definitely hit quarter capacity in most places. But how many community members do you limit it to? Is it first come, first serve? I don't know. There, there are no good answers that fit across the board. And maybe that's part of the problem with COVID is people are trying to fit across the board answers to a problem where there just aren't across the board solutions and, and there aren't cro- across the board things that can be done about a lot of these issues. But I'll be honest, I don't know that I'm surprised at the amount of impact that COVID has had. I'm surprised by some of the ways that has had impact. I did not anticipate some things, some things I did anticipate, but maybe not to the level that we're seeing it. But all in all, this is about what I expected for this high school football season. Organized chaos sounds bad. I'm, I'm glad to have football this year. I'm glad that we are able to enjoy this. But at the same time, this is a very, very different season in a lot of regards than what we've had in past years. I'm the one that brought back football. By the way, I brought back Big Ten football. Earlier this week, I had a chance to sit down with Williamstown head coach Chris Beck ahead of the Yellow Jackets matchup with unbeaten St. Mary's this week. In what way are you better after the Fort Fry game? So I think it exposed our kids, a lot of weaknesses that we have or areas that we need to 
get better at. And that's one of the advantages of playing the schedule we play. I mean, we're going to be challenged every week. We figured out, hey, if we don't give total effort every play and execute proper technique, that we're going to be in trouble. Uh, but four for I mean, there's a way of a team. So there's things like that you can uh, walk away and take away from a just an effort standpoint, technique standpoint. I'd rather get exposed in week four than uh, in the playoffs. So we're just trying to learn from that and get better week by week here. Would you have rather found someone to play last week or now that you didn't, are you able to kind of use that to your advantage? So, I mean, at first I really wanted to play and we tried a lot of avenues to find a game. Nothing worked out. Looking back though, I mean, once we decided Monday, hey, there's not really a game that fits. I mean, it's just an advantage for us in regards to we're able to get healthy. We had some bumps and bruises we had to take care of. We had a lot of things we needed to clean up. You don't like to have that bad taste in your mouth for two weeks, but it makes coaching easy for two weeks. We have a lot of things to point to the film to point to, let these guys know what we need to improve on. So I think it ended up being a good reset for us as far as getting healthy, working on some things we need to get healthy and get ready for a really, really good St. Mary's team Friday. Well, the way your schedule's laid out a lot of years, you've had two weeks going into the St. Mary's game in many years. Is that something that maybe made this seem more familiar? Did that help at all? To me, it didn't. We've had bye weeks and came out the week after and got our butts kicked and had other weeks where it worked out well. We just want to get better. Every week we want to get better. Did we get better last week? I think we did. I think we got better. We got healthier. And we're going to need to be really good uh, Friday night. Looking at what you've been able to do in these two weeks, where have you noticed the biggest area of improvement? I think just from getting our kids to understand every little thing they have to do. And what I mean by that, you can you can get away not doing something exactly right against teams that you have a lot more talent in. But if you run against a really good team, they're going to make you pay. And that's what Fort Fry did time and time again. So we've just done a really good job of tightening up our assignments and our technique and hopefully that leads to a big improvement here Friday. We thought going in this year you'd be able to run the ball well. You've got a veteran line and a veteran quarterback to kind of manage that offense. Has that offense come along in the way that you expected? We just need to be more consistent. So I thought against Marietta, we, we played well. Gatray, we played pretty well. And then obviously against Fort Fry, we didn't. But, you know, a lot of that has to do with Fort Fry. I mean, they came out, they played a heck of a game. I don't think it can be underestimated how good they are. I mean, they're actually, you play good teams all the time. We play really good teams. But, I mean, they have a real shot to rank number three in all Division six, all Ohio. Yeah. But having said that, we just need to be more consistent. Again, it's one of those things, if you have four out of five guys making the right block, one guy's not, you get away with that against teams that you're a lot more talented than. Mm-hmm. A team gets four for I, I mean, they're going to make you pay. It turns into a TFL. So we just need to be more consistent on offense. Defensively, have you had the playmakers step up that you'd hope to have step up at this point of the season? Yeah, we've got to get better on defense. And we talked about that last week. We talked about that yesterday. We've got to get our alignment assignment. We've got to fly to the football. We've got to tackle better. We're not playing physical enough on defense. Defense. We're not playing aggressive enough on defense. Uh, we're not tackling well enough on defense. So we know defensively, for us, this team to get where we want to get to, we're going to have to get better. And there's certainly going to be challenged. I mean, St. Mary's averaging over 40 points a game, haven't been held less than 32 or 33, whatever that one score was. They got a lot of playmakers, and if we don't take care of business Friday, I mean, it could be another long night for the defense. Well, looking at all those playmakers, what do you look to take away first? I, they're multiple. They're very multiple in what they, they're able to do. But I definitely think it st- starts with the quarterback, and he can hurt you with his legs and his arm. So you got to look. I think you start there, and what things – I don't know if you can shut him down. Though. I think you got to try to limit him. I think he's too good to – you're not going to take him away. And Coach Moat and them do too good of a job and put him in good situations. But we got to limit the big plays, especially from him and then from the Moss kid, 33 and 20. 
are the guys when you watch film definitely stand out but they got other guys 7 can play 16 can play 13 can play but I think it starts with 20 it starts at quarterback you played Fort Fry St. Mary's has played Richie so the fact that you both had experience against good teams this year uh, do you think that bodes well for just how crisp this matchup ought to be this week I mean do, are you expecting a well played game I know they're going to play well uh, we just got to make sure we answer the bell and we play well. Yeah, we've both been challenged. They played Richie. We played Fort Fry. Fort Fry is a good team we're going to see. Marietta's a really good team. Marietta beat Athens. They beat Weir. They gave Parkersburg a really good game through the end of the third quarter, I think. So our kids have been challenged, and it doesn't stop here. we got St. Mary's this week. We're focused on them. They're number one team in Class A, West Virginia. Uh, Summers County's 3-1. The week after that, you got Moorfield, Doddridge. It doesn't end for us. The schedule doesn't get easier. Have you kept the intensity up with the extra week? Yeah, I thought we had a pretty good practice last week. Uh, we got a little lackadaisical towards the end, probably. We want them to be relaxed. We want them to forget about Friday night's game, but not. You know, we want to, as much as it pains me to watch that film, I've watched it a bunch. <laughs> and I'm just looking for things that we could have done better. Uh, and I'm not sure if we, if we play a really great game, I'm not sure we beat those guys. And if we play the best of our ability. But I was disappointed that we didn't play to the best of our ability. And we didn't play what I consider yellow jacket football, which is guys playing 100 miles an hour, playing hard, hard as we can, as long as we can. So hopefully we get that rectified Friday and we see a lot of effort and guys getting lined up right and doing their assignment. That's Williamstown Yellow Jackets head coach Chris Beck. The Yellow Jackets and the unbeaten St. Mary's Blue Devils meet Friday at a game you can hear on Light Rock 93R. Before we wrap up, I wrestled with whether or not to talk about this because it doesn't pertain to high school football, but it is in the area and it did go viral, so I feel the need to bring up the incident from last week at the middle school football game in Logan, Ohio, between Marietta and Logan, where the woman was tased and removed from the premises after she became belligerent and a little bit disorderly with school officials and with the school's resource officer when confronted about her mask wearing. She wasn't tased because she didn't wear a mask. That's been put out there a lot. It's not true. She was tased because she became belligerent with police and a little bit combative with law enforcement. If you've not seen the video or read the story or heard about this, it's widely out there. You can Google Marietta mask incident, probably find exactly what you're looking for. I'll be honest, I've not watched the video. I don't care to see it, don't need to see it. It's basically a parent who decided that their freedoms were being infringed upon and when confronted with the fact that she wasn't wearing a mask where there were clearly signs telling her to do so, she got a little bit unruly with law enforcement. The school's resource officer called for backup. She was removed. She was tased at one point, a little bit rough handled. I'll be honest, it wasn't until last Friday, this happened on Wednesday, it wasn't until Friday where I realized people were taking the woman side. There are people taking her side on this. Bottom line is this, you don't have a right to be anywhere right now. Even if your kid is participating in that event, you don't have a right to be there if you're not willing to play by the rules of that public place. You're on a property of a school system, in this case, a high school football field. There were clear signs posted asking you to wear masks, and other people were in compliance with that. And when confronted about it, this lady went buck wild. I've been at a lot of other games, a lot of other venues this year where mask wearing was followed. Mask wearing was not followed a lot of places, including last week at John Marshall. No coincidence, they went gold as soon as that game was over. I think I might have seen five people wearing masks 
during South's game against John Marshall on Friday, and then Marshall kind of goes gold the next day. I wasn't surprised by that because most people in the stands were not wearing masks, and most people that were wearing them were barely wearing them over the face or the chin just to be somewhat in compliance. Uh, For what it's worth, for that to have its full effect, you have to wear it over your mouth and your nose. I get it. People struggle to breathe that way, so do one of two things. Either find a mask that you're comfortable breathing from that's made of a material that you can breathe from a little bit, or don't go to events where masks wearing is required. It's that simple. We're six months into a pandemic because we as a country are about the only developed country in the world that struggles with mask wearing and struggles with the idea of doing something for the greater good of people because the event has become so politicized and mask wearing has become so politicized. And I know that people are saying, well, both parties wear masks now. Republicans wear masks now. You're starting to see President Trump in a mask. Yeah, but it took five months for that to happen. Had that not been a mixed message at the beginning of the pandemic, we'd be in a lot better shape right now. I'm trying my hardest not to discuss this issue without making it a political thing. But look at mask wearing like this. If I was to sneeze, would you rather I covered my mouth or would you rather I didn't cover my mouth? Which one of those things do you think is less or more likely to get air particles on you? I think a big part of the problem here is that we've not lived through a public health crisis or most of us have not lived through a public health crisis to this extent where you're asked to do things that infringe on your everyday life, that you have to do everyday life measures that you have to take every day that allow you to continue to do things. We're not often told what we can and can't do or should or shouldn't do when we go out in public, as evidenced by literally every trip to Walmart. You wear a shirt and wear some form of shoes. That's about it. And people struggle with that for the longest time. And people barely get under the minimum of shirt and shoes in a lot of places. We've not been asked to give of ourselves in a way that COVID-19 has required us to do in some places. So there's a natural tendency to bristle when being told what to do, especially if you're someone that hears mixed messages coming from key government officials, and especially if that's the side you tend to believe when there is an issue. But the problem is this, we need to understand as a people that not all issues should be partisan. For instance, what if you were told a flash flood was coming and you lived right next to a creek or stream? Would there be people that stayed there and and just acted like they didn't believe the flash flood was coming? No, you'd take appropriate measures. We do that when storms come. And believe it or not, we live in the most skittish area in this state right now because 10 years ago, a derecho hit. All of a sudden, any time a big summer thunderstorm comes, we think it's the second coming of the derecho of 10 years ago. People go buck wild. People go buying bread and milk when winter storm warnings come. People prepare for weather warnings because the weather system hasn't been politicized. Thankfully, some things need to be above making them political, and health guidelines are one of those things. So we have a problem in our country when it comes to following guidelines simply because we have a problem with believing what we're told And as far as where that problem comes from, that's where we cross the line into what you don't want to hear me talk about on this podcast. But the bigger issue is this, and the main issue is this as it pertains to this. If a school system has guidelines in place and you're on their property, follow those guidelines. It's that simple. People don't smoke anymore on high school premises for that reason. People don't use tobacco anymore legally for that reason. Vaping is not allowed on those premises. Same reason. If a school official sees you rubbing snuff and spitting into a cup or wherever, they can ask you to leave. They ask you to light up a cigarette or a vape pen. They can ask you to put it out or leave. Same thing. You're on their property. It's their deal. You're around other people and other people's kids. And right now, we're in a pandemic that many people are taking seriously. So if you're not, you can do one of two things. Either get on board 
or stay at home. A lot of the criticisms over the way law enforcement handle this, and they are not completely exempt from blame here. They have some bad optics in this too. Tasing a woman in front of her kids is not a good look. Showing up as the backup in an incident where this altercation with the woman started over the fact that she wasn't wearing a mask. When you're not wearing a mask yourself, that's not a good look. And the officer who showed up as backup and didn't wear the mask, that's not a good look in this instance. That's part of the problem here. And that and that's only adding fuel to the fire of this. People are saying that the law enforcement left this woman's kids unattended and they didn't care about this woman's kids. I would argue that she didn't care about her kids. If you're the sole person that's there caring for your kids, watching your kids in the stands, then don't do stuff like that. Don't start fights with law enforcement that end in you getting thrown out. It's that simple. It's that simple. There's sometimes we have to bite your tongue in a situation and be the bigger person, even when you don't agree with what's going on around you, just because there are other factors at play. But the bottom line is, no one wants to wear masks. But if it gets us high school football, is that too big of a price to pay? If it gets us these events, is that too big of a price to pay? Like I said, you're not entitled to be where your kids are. It's a privilege to be on school property in a public place right now. Not a lot of people have that. There are a lot of places where these games aren't happening. So if a few rules need to be put in place so we can enjoy these things, why not follow them? It's that simple. If you can't comply with that and, and you're someone that has trouble wearing the mask, like I said, there are two options. Find a mask that you feel more comfortable with or don't go to these events. And if you're someone with a breathing problem and sitting in a stationary spot with a mask on is tough for you, you probably don't need to be going to high school sporting events or really anywhere else where you have to wear a mask right now. Your health probably doesn't merit it. But either way, that's as far as I'm willing to go into this incident. It's as much attention as it deserves. I can't believe there are people taking this woman's side. You're on school property. Do what they ask you to do for the sake of your kids and everyone else's kids involved. Let's take a look at our games on the stations of Seven Ranges, Mid-Ohio Valley Radio this week on Light Rock 93R. What else? St. Mary's and Williamstown. It's the big one. On 92.3 WXCR, we've got Ritchie County this week as the Rebels take on Ravenswood. That should be a get-right game for Ritchie County. On V96.9 South, we're looking for a get-right game, but it won't be as easy as they'll take on the Bridgeport Indians. And on our new True Oldies channel, WVAM, PHS takes on Hurricane. Games of the week in the area, I don't think we need to go any further than St. Mary's Williamstown. Williamstown has got an uphill battle coming into this one. St. Mary's is 4-0, and Williamstown's coming off of a demoralizing loss to Fort Fry. Talking with Chris Beck about it, and you heard the interview just a little bit ago. He said they just feel like they didn't give their best effort against Fort Fry, and that's the thing that sticks out to him, and that's the thing that stings, especially when you have to wait two weeks to play it. But Williamstown is used to having that two weeks to prep for St. Mary's. They were able to heal, they were able to get ready, and you can use that loss as motivation if you use it in the right way. And certainly being stung by a 49-7 to loss to Fort Fry, a good Fort Fry team, but still that's a loss of the likes which Williamstown doesn't often take. You can use that to fuel that effort leading into the week against St. Mary's. Doddridge County and Wart County one to keep an eye on. Doddridge comes in at 4-0, Wart at 3-0, and Wart's opposition has been a lot less strenuous than what Doddridge County has played. This is going to be their first test. Doddridge tested last week against Ritchie County. Uh, maybe fool's gold, that 3-0 Wart County record, but they can prove us wrong. We'll see exactly where they measure up, and so will they. Marietta finishes their regular season. They're 2-3. They got a chance to go 500 against a pretty good Ripley team. That's an interesting matchup there, and we'll see what Marietta does, because they are going to opt into the postseason, and they'll be playing beyond on this week, but the regular season ends this week, so I'll have an eye on that one. And speaking of Fort Fry, Fort Fry and Wheeling Central meet this week. That'll be a fun one. That's not the first time the last couple of years those two schools have met. Fort Fry and Wheeling Central will be a very competitive one. Wheeling Central, I know a lot of people that look at records and records alone and decide who's good and who's not by records. Uh, look at Wheeling Central in the rankings and where they are in the Metro News Power Rankings. They criticize a 
500 or a sub-500 team in Wheeling Central being put as highly as they are, but look who they're playing. They're not playing chumps. They're playing the Ford Fries, the PHSs of the world, Pokas of the world, so on and so forth. So again, those are the games of the week in the area, and those are the games on our stations. Hey, if you haven't already, like us on Facebook, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Leave a comment, post something, and, and I can respond to that. I'll put it on the show. Send me a message and ask me a question, and I'll talk about that on the program. We did away with a poll question, but I'm certainly encouraging the interaction and certainly encourage you to leave that and ask my take on anything. Download us on SoundCloud. Like us on SoundCloud. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts as well. I'm your host, Eric Little. We'll talk to you next week with more. Thank you for joining us for another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, and enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening. I'm the one that brought back football. By the way, I brought back Big Ten football.